0: Friends, welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. I'm Kristen Carey hosting today, and I am so grateful to have this time to spend with you, Kat Etherington. Thank you so much for joining me on the Living Truth Podcast today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a bit of a last minute job, but we made it work.
0: We did. You guys, I I wanna introduce you here to Kat. She is an amazing partner recovery coach She works on staff with an organization called the Naked Truth Project, and I've gotten to interact with Kat many times over the years in our very small, tight knit community of women working with betrayed partners. So she herself has been through betrayal, and it's become her life's work to help people, men and women with unwanted sexual behavior and partners who are in partner trauma. And I, one of my best memories with you, Kat, is what, the time that we did a manual prayer together mm-hmm. in the Door of Hope community, and you volunteered to be the guinea pig to receive it, and that was so special.
1: Yeah, that was a really cool experience, and thank you for, for facilitating that.
0: Oh, yeah, well, I was thankful that you were willing to give it a go. So we've also gotten to serve at the New England Betrayal Trauma Conference, and I really appreciate your perspective and teaching on the crisis of faith that so many partners have as a result of sexual betrayal and the fallout from that. So I just thank you for your work. And I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about the Naked Truth Project that you work for in England. Mm. And by you, as you guys can tell by Kat's lovely <laughs> accent, she is British. So tell us more about Naked yeah. Truth Project. Thank you. And, and you know I was saying to you just before
1: we began recording that I, I think a lot of people know Naked Truth Project for our recovery work. And, and of course we do a lot of the same things that Living Truth does, um, but often people don't realize the, the scope of all of the other work that we're involved with. And so anybody who's heard me speak anywhere has heard me talk about how Naked Truth Project has this vision to open eyes and free lives from the damaging impact of porn. That's our kind of strap line vision vision, vision, mission statement, Um, and and that's really sort of the the way that the work that we do is divided up. So the free lives aspect of that is the work that I do as head of recovery. We we have our recovery programs, but actually um, something like the P-Word conference, which we're going to talk a little bit about today, which is where you're going to be one of our speakers, is much more sort of situated under that open eyes aspect of the work that we do as a broader charity and a broader ministry, Um, and 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 over there in in Open Eyes, we're we're doing work that's based around awareness and education and and really just wanting to begin a conversation about pornography. Is that a good idea? Is it not a good idea? What are the what are the risks associated with using pornography frequently? And we're doing that in all sorts of different places and in all sorts of different ways. And so uh, I kind of just wanted to shout a little bit about the other aspects of the work that we do because I think people really know us for our recovery work but what they often don't know is that we have a whole team of practitioners who are um, working in schools talking to teenagers and young adults about pornography Um, in school sessions. We have a whole um, bunch of people who go out into the community and talk to parents. Um, We do do what we call a PG workshop which invites parents to think through um, the sort of challenges of raising children in the internet generation and specifically in relation to pornography we also do a bunch of stuff with churches and with um sort of creative expressions and and just really trying to trying to provoke the conversation in mainstream culture about uh, about pornography and about sexuality and about all of those kinds yeah. of things and so um yeah as i said you know sometimes people think that what we do is just limited to the recovery work but actually it's much much broader than that and so the p word conference which we're going to a little bit about today i think is is really about inviting the church into that mission and saying okay we can open eyes and free lives from the mm. damaging impacts of pornography but actually that isn't just a mandate for us as naked truth project it's not just a mandate for a select group of people actually if if what it is to be a christian and what it is to be a part of the church is that we we set the captives free and we do all the things that jesus did then actually that's a mandate for the whole church and so mm. you know we want to equip the local church to free lives and open eyes against the damaging
0: impacts of porn wow yeah that is so exciting Kat um why do you think it is that this is an issue the church needs to address I mean like what kind of impact does pornography have on Christians and what how how big of an issue is this among adults and youth in our churches
1: well, you know, I think there are two ways to answer that question really. There are there are stats and there are stories and and, you know, it's really difficult to say one is more important than the other, actually, because the stats tell us a little bit about the information. They tell us a little bit about the numbers, but the stories tell us about the real life people behind those numbers. Right. And so I would answer that question by saying, when you look at the studies and you look at the stats, you you see that there is evidence that regular use of pornography impacts the way that we view each other as partners and as human beings. It has particular impact on the way that women are viewed within their most intimate relationships and possibly i think you could argue within the church as a whole mm-hmm. if there are sufficient christian men who are viewing pornography regularly and that is shaping their understanding of the role of women then then that's a significant impact across the whole church mm-hmm. um, there are statistics about um, the impact on male to female relationships child on child sex abuse um, there are issues related to justice and exploitation um so you know when we talk about the damaging impacts of porn it's not just about you know, that marriage. It's actually way, way broader than that. It's about our children and how they are being influenced. It's about our young people growing into adults. It's about our attitudes towards gender diversity and equality and cultural uh, questions and all of that stuff, right? And so, you know, the church should care about that because of the people who are impacted by that. Now you add to that the stories that you and I likely hear on a day-to-day basis about real people um, and the experiences that they're having and the escalation of addiction into other types of behaviours and and all of those things. And you start to see that, you know, I think there was a survey uh, several years ago that said that 97% of pastors recognised that porn was a bigger problem than it had ever been before in their churches. But out of those 97%, 7% 7% of pastors only 7% had any kind of program in place to begin to deal with it and so mm-hmm. you know something like the P word conference exists because we know that that christian leaders want to love and shepherd their congregations well and we know that when it comes to the issues of pornography and betrayal and unwanted problematic sexual behaviors they often just don't know anything about it
0: yeah. So do you think that's the biggest thing that keeps churches from addressing it is just the, of uh, kind of a deer in, a he- in the headlights? Like, we don't know what to do to help people with this problem.
1: Yeah, I think, I think um, a lack of education is a huge piece of that. Um, I also think it's a messy, problematic topic. You know, when I took my training around um, sex addiction, one of the things they asked you to do in the training was go find your grandfather or your pastor or the person you would least want to say some specific kind of words to and go, go say those words to them. They're like, you need to get comfortable with the language of sexuality. You need to to get comfortable with naming body parts and sexual activities and and that was that's that's tough when you haven't been raised in a culture that speaks openly about those things right so there is something about this just being a kind of taboo yucky topic for people to talk about they're not used to it um so I think yes there is some lack of education I think there's also some some sort of taboo around it and um, and I think those are real real problems.
0: Absolutely. And I think another problem can be, um, even if a pastor is wanting to be bold and talk about it from the pulpit, the question of what do you do about it, because I think a lot of people view uh, sexual unwanted sexual behavior as a spiritual problem like a moral failure. And what we don't realize is that our arousal templates are set in our brains from young, especially when we have sexual trauma or are exposed to pornography, which as children is traumatic, right? Exposed to pornography. And that sets in motion, a whole slew of brain and physiological and psychological issues that no spiritual solution alone can remedy. Right. And so if we view this as a spiritual moral issue only and then we're just going to see people continually fail morally in these in these areas Right. right and so then it's like now what do we do
1: not to mention- well, I think as Christians, we need to broaden the conversation from a yeah. moral and spiritual one to to a health-based conversation. Addiction is a health issue. It's not yeah. a moral issue. And so if we are saying that we believe that, I mean, and you know, there are arguments out there in the sex addiction world as to whether it is an addiction or whether it's a compulsive behavior or, you know, what, whatever that is. But we're talking about a health issue um, that if somebody comes and they're addicted, to some other substance, we tend not to spiritualize that in quite the same way. We would, right. we would expect them to go for treatment and we would expect them to, to get specialized help with those things.
0: Yeah, but if if a couple comes forward and say the husband has a pornography addiction, there's automatically going to be an assumption that the wife is not doing something mm-hmm. enough, either she's not available enough sexually or she's not sexy enough or she's whatever. Usually mm-hmm. there's kind of a 50-50 a right. view of why this problem is happening instead of recognizing that 95%, if not more of the men who are viewing pornography started long before they ever got married. Most of them started right. as preteens or younger. Right, and, and I think so, it was one of
1: your presentations where I remember you sort of asking like would they ask that in any other circumstances would they say right. to the wife of an alcoholic well what are you making him to drink every day um, you know we we wouldn't do that and so it's kind of absurd that that happens and you know my husband is a church leader and so whilst I've had r- periods of being really angry about some of the stories that I hear about the way that the church is responding I also have a huge amount of uh, Uh, empathy and compassion for our church leaders you know my husband leads a really small congregation and within that small congregation each of the people within it has a you know they have a thing that they care about maybe they have uh you know they have a disabled child and so they really care about access for disabled people maybe this other person has um you know history with cancer and so they're really involved in in cancer research and and those things and I'm like gosh no one person can know every Thing there is to know about all of the issues about that that all of the people in all of the pews care about, right? Yeah. And so I have a huge amount of compassion for that. Um, what I would rather see churches do is say, huh, I don't know anything about that. Let me try and get you some help. Then I would see right. them sort of try to muddle through. And so something like the P word conference is part of the solution to that. The people who choose to show up, yeah. I mean that the conference is really aimed at church leaders and people involved in ministry within churches and, and that we want to be part of the solution to that. We want to say, Hey, we see you. We see you wanting to love and care for the people within your congregation. And, And what we want to offer is a practical pastoral response more than just, uh, oh, that's bad. But here's like, here are some things you can do that can actually help.
0: That is amazing. Unpack more about the P word conference, like the dates, how people can buy tickets, just kind of the scope of it. I'd love to hear more.
1: Well, so what what we've done previously, and we've we've been running the P Word conference for a number of years um, locally and and sort of nationally within the UK. And so we've hit all of the sort of major cities across the UK with P Word. Um, and this was the, I mean, COVID has kind of forced everybody to rethink how they are making their offerings, right? And so uh, as our as our recovery ministry has grown internationally, and we have very deliberately positioned ourselves within that international space, we have practitioners in the US, we have practitioners down in New Zealand. And so we, you know, we have a client base that is global now. And we started to think, huh, you know, this is not a UK church problem. This is this is not a, a British issue. There might be some cultural nuance in terms of how it plays out across the globe. But actually, we know from our client base that this is a, an issue across the board. Um, and so we started to think, what would it be like to expand the work that we've previously done with the work?" conference to an international forum and say okay let's hear from so we've got speakers from Australia we've got speakers from New Zealand we've got speakers in the US and in Canada and in the UK and and you know folks from all around the world Um, and we've got folks across a number of different disciplines and streams that are going to address a number of different approaches I was talking to to the CEO this morning we're talking about um, the diversity that we've been able to capture within our speaker team. So we've got speakers across um, four different five, actually five different streams. So we're going to be talking about porn and the church um, and how the church can uh, be a light and offer hope to those who are struggling, those who are being exploited within the industry, how they can think through all of the challenges regarding that. We've got speakers covering things related to recovery um, and justice, because we we absolutely believe that porn is a justice issue. With the exploitation that's happening with the links to human trafficking, um, with the exposure of children. All of those things feel like they're justice issues to us. Um, We're going to talk about family and youth. So again, just broadening the conversation from just the user or the person on the other side of the screen, but thinking about how it impacts everybody else in that person's life. And we're going to tell a bunch of stories because like I said, behind all of those statistics are real people with real lives and real families and real feelings things and so, um, so broadening it out gives us a chance to, to just bring in all of that diversity. We've got people from uh, different charitable organisations who are working with young people, who are working with sex offenders, who maybe have escalated from pornography use into other sexual behaviours. Mm-hmm. We've got folks who are dedicated to recovery like yourselves. Um, so yeah, all sorts of, uh, of people across the
0: world. That is so exciting. Okay, so give us the dates and the website.
1: Yes, thank you for asking that. So the website is www pwordconference.com so that's pwordconference.com
0: and we will put this in the show notes so people can like just click on the link too
1: yeah please do that Um, and so the conference is running from September 28th to September 30th so those three across those three days we're trying right now we're working on scheduling and what we what we're trying to do is offer a combination of pre because it's gonna it's gonna air across a bunch of different time zones um we're to try to offer a combination of live content and on-demand playback content and all of those all of the content that's out there will have q a will have opportunities to interact so we're hoping that we can broadcast live once every couple of hours um, some live content from around the world so hopefully wherever you are across the globe you will be able to interact live with some of our speakers and you'll be able to access content afterwards or pre-recorded in terms of tickets, if you go to the pwordconference.com uh, website, you'll find that there are two ticket options. You can buy a basic ticket, which is 50 Great British Pounds, which I now pretty much think in US dollars. So okay, you're tell me what that is in US dollars. Kind
0: of <laughs> 73
1: to 75 US dollars for um, what we're calling sort of basic access, which gives access to all the, all the sessions as they air. So live and on demand for the duration. Of the event, so during those three days, you'll be able to see everything wherever you are in the world. Um, But a better option would be to pay seventy-five Great British pounds, which I guess is somewhere in the region of eighty-five to ninety US dollars, and that will give you ongoing, uh, unlimited access um, after the event has finished. So you can go back and watch and rewatch all of that content.
0: So I think that the church staff wants to see it i mean is there um can can like one member of the church staff purchase a ticket and Sit and have a watch party with their church staff, or how does That's that? That's a really
1: great question. Yeah, um, I am gonna have to defer you to Ian, who has I, I'm, I'm not so much involved in the sort of logistics of it, but I do believe there is a package for church leaders who want to, you know, sit with their cell group or with their leadership team. And so, um, we'll yeah, put that in the uh, show notes too. Yeah, please do that. And and you know, really, that would be a dream for us is that you know, a church would come together around this content and not just just acknowledge the, the problem but actually you know as as you listen to these speakers address all of these different topics it, it's going to leave you with a question which is so what do we do now yeah. and hopefully uh, the content that we're going to provide is certainly going to give some suggestions and ideas about that but what needs to happen then is that churches need to do they need to do the things right um, and so it would be a dream for us to see groups of you know church leadership teams sitting down together and 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 accessing the content and then planning for what they want to do in their churches. And just in case those church leaders are in any doubt, let me tell you that the statistics for pornography use and particularly sort of problematic, compulsive, addictive pornography use are as dire in the church as they are out of the church. I think, you know, as Christians, sometimes we think, oh yeah, that goes on out there, but it can't be happening in here. And the truth is that the statistics are are very, very similar within the church as they are out there
0: what are the numbers that you would give people about well
1: yeah it depends on which studies you look at I mean there are as you read all of the studies over the years there are a number of sort of things that stick in your head when you hear them um and I I know for sure that I read a statistic that said um something like 45 percent of our church leaders are looking at pornography on a regular basis so that's a pretty scary stat right
0: right yeah, that's about what I've heard.
1: When you think about that question that you asked me earlier, you know, why a church is not talking about it? Well, possibly because nearly half of our church leaders are involved in it. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, why would I want to talk about things from the pulpit? Why would I want to create programs for, for vices that I'm caught up in myself, right? Um, so, you know, that's a statistic that sticks in my mind. One of the other studies that I read... Um, gave a statistic. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was for Christian young people where um, a hugely higher percentage of these young people said that not recycling was more of an issue than regularly viewing pornography. And I I remember feeling quite, I mean, not that I'm saying that that we shouldn't recycle. We should absolutely recycle. And that's a really important thing. And when you think about the human cost of pornography and and particularly you know I was listening to my my boss give an interview today and he was saying you know we can argue about the morals um, behind. The use of pornography all day long. But I think something we can all agree on is that we are anti-sexual exploitation and we're anti-human trafficking. And, you know, so even if those were the only things we cared about in relation to pornography, I find it a little bit shocking that more people would think that recycling was wrong than, than basically human trafficking, you know?
0: Right. Well, don't you think that the majority of young people probably don't realize that pornography is linked right. to human trafficking? Right. Do you, do you have any idea statistically what the estimates are of how many porn stars are actually? I mean, they're all being exploited to some degree, right? But how many of them are actually tr- victims of trafficking?
1: I don't. I don't. I don't have yeah. a statistic for that, and I'm not sure that there is a reliable would, statistic. Yeah, I don't know how you would
0: track that exactly, right?
1: Um, because I mean, and let's be honest about it: some people don't know that they're being exploited because they've been sold a narrative of false empowerment, that they think this is a really great option for them. They've been groomed into a position of um, almost kind of voluntary exploitation, if such a thing were even to exist. You know, they don't, they don't know that they have other options. Mm. Um, So that, that would be a, a difficult thing. But also, you know, how many, how do you get access to people who are being exploited? How do you get access to people who are being trafficked, right? And so, I don't know that those statistics exist, but I do know that when you begin to talk to young people, what we hear from the, the team that we have working in schools is that young people do care about that. They yeah. they maybe don't know about right. it, but when you start to talk to them about the links between pornography and human trafficking, when you start to talk to them about um, the age that young children are being exposed to pornography and the impact that that has on them and the links Mm -hmm. between early exposure to pornography and um, child on child sex abuse. When you start to talk about those things with youth and young people, they they start to listen and they start Mm -hmm. to think differently and they start to think a little bit more critically about what's been sold to them as normal and healthy and, you know, Mm -hmm. all of those things. And so there is, I think, an encouraging picture um, amongst our younger generations where they don't know what they don't know. And when you begin to invite them into that conversation, they are beginning to say, "Ha, huh, I'm not sure that this is really a good thing for me.
0: Yeah. So what do you encourage young people to do, let's say your team that's going into schools and sharing about the dangers of pornography with kids in schools and educating them about the links with trafficking and all of that? And many of these, especially high school students, are probably already, whether addicted or just dependent on and and compulsively using pornography. Mm -hmm. What kinds of recommendations do you guys have for these young people Mm -hmm. to find freedom?
1: Well, and I think you made a really important point, which is that, you know, we see this within our recovery programs also, which is that attitudes have changed towards pornography. You know, I'm I'm going to be 40 uh, tomorrow, actually. And so, you know, my generation, um, I think we already had an inherently different view of pornography. We're sort of the first uh, Internet raised generation. I mean, I tell my kids that Google didn't exist when I was at school and they think I'm a million years old. Um, but you know I look at my daughters who are 18 and 16 and they're being raised in a totally different digital landscape um, and pornography is not an it's not a it's not a thing that even gets talked about critically, it's an, like an assumed thing. Um, and so you're not talking about, do you view porn? You're talking about how often have you viewed porn? How old were you when you were first exposed to pornography? Um, which, you know, again, talking about statistics, the average age of exposure to hardcore pornography now is somewhere between the age of 11 and 15, according to some studies. And so, you know, when you get to secondary school I think we're making an assumption that most of these kids have already seen um, hardcore pornography that is unlimited and uh, unregulated Um, so we're not talking about the same landscape when I was a kid um, Kristen you know we had to go eyeball to eyeball with a shopkeeper and ask for the magazine to come down and they had to you know they verified your age and all of that stuff that doesn't happen now Mm -hmm. and so so I think you know, with young people, it's it's the amount of available content, it's the kind of content that they're viewing
0: um, that that really it's typically somewhat graphic and violent, right? Or right. not maybe not somewhat, but it's typically violent.
1: Right. Typically violent towards women as well. Yeah. You know, I think there is a lot of nuance in the argument about um, the adequacy of our sex education and why young people might turn to pornography, particularly um, in, you know, minority sexualities and all of that stuff. I, You know, there, we could talk about that so much more. But, you know, the bottom line is that um, and we often talk about looking at pornography for sex education is mm-hmm. like going to McDonald's for your nutritional advice. You know, it's not it's not good advice. It's not real life. It's not how you want to be consuming sex um, all the time. And so, you know, even just talking about that stuff with young people is helpful as we begin to unpack um, how does pornography shape our expectations Mm -hmm. of one another? And when I got interested in this after I had, you know, my own story in relation to this, uh, you know, as we do, I started talking to everybody who would listen about the the dangers of pornography, um, which is always a fun and interesting conversation. Um, and I remember one of my colleagues actually, who I guess was a a young man headed towards thirty. And I remember him saying to me, "You know, the conversations that I've had with you have really caused me to reflect mm-hmm. and to think about the way that my own consumption of pornography has impacted the way that I view the the girls in my life, the women in my life." Um, um, and he said, you know, I ch- chatted with some of my friends about that and we realized that we were prone to objectifying the women in our lives. Um, and I don't like that. And and I don't want to do that anymore. And so me and my buddies, we're not going to we're not going to look at porn anymore. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. You know, I'm just really encouraged by that. So. So I think the, you know, what what we're trying to do with young people is not so much give them advice as it is give them information and kind of trust their willingness and ability to think for themselves and to think critically. And a lot of them change their mind now with that said I think it's really important isn't it that we don't shame our young people for doing something that can be a normal healthy exploration of sexuality you know all kids are gonna gonna explore the 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 problem is the the frequency and the type of content that they're using with that they're, they're like you said it's traumatic their little brains aren't supposed to be viewing violent sexual images at some such a young age they can't compute it they can't understand it it does something to them the the kind of I, it's almost like a you know when you when you talk to survivors of sexual violence they talk about Um, this kind of incongruent experience that they have um, where, you know, your body will respond to a sexual stimulus, even if it's against your your own consent sometimes, right? And that's really confusing for people. And so when our young people are viewing sexually violent images, but their bodies are responding with arousal, that's really confusing and it's really traumatic for a young person to go through. And so, you know, what we're hoping to do is, is prevent that, but also to help them to think through the outcome of that. And, and, you know, thankfully, a lot of people are, are responding to that.
0: Do you guys do a lot to educate parents on how to talk to their kids and at what age to start talking to your kids and about pornography yeah Yeah.
1: our pg workshop is kind of aimed at that and and kind of helping parents to think through all of that stuff that i just said like your kids are being raised in a totally different world to the Mm -hmm. world that you grew up in so that birds and the bees talk probably ain't going to cut it anymore you know right. and so we're trying to i guess you know there's a couple of things with parents isn't it we're trying to do yeah. that thing that i said we're trying to desensitize them and stop them feeling so weird about the sex conversation and the porn conversation and the masturbation conversation and all of that stuff um but also just to help to uh, give them some language give them a frame of reference um even like practical tips one of the things we say to them is you know it's much easier to talk to a teenager, if you're not sitting eyeball to eyeball across a table, you know, go for a walk, While talk driving. to them in the car. We're, right. Absolutely. <laughs> right. And actually side by side without yeah. eye contact takes away a lot of the intensity of a difficult and challenging conversation. One of the things I've, I've really tried to do with my daughters is to just acknowledge the cringiness and it's been like, okay, I'm not loving this conversation, but it's really important. And so sometimes you have to just face up to that discomfort. Mm.
0: How, how old do you guys recommend that parents start talking to their kids about pornography?
1: Well, whenever I get asked that conversation, I always say the answer is younger than you would like it to be. Um, do, you ever, you know. do you ever
0: use the um, good pictures, bad pictures and good pictures, bad pictures, junior? Like good yeah. pictures, bad pictures, junior starts at three years old. I started reading that to my daughter shortly after it came out. She was about mm-hmm. three or four at the time. And it's very much age appropriate. Right. and developmentally appropriate it's written by a counselor and then the regular good pictures, bad pictures is for seven to 11 year olds. Right. And I've read that to my younger kids, too, because I,
1: I think, that you know, parents are afraid, aren't they, Kristen? They're like, yeah. oh, I don't want to plant a seed that creates curiosity in my kids. And I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, the truth is, like I said, seven to 11 is the average age of exposure to pornography. So if you haven't had that conversation by yeah. seven, then someone else is going to beat you to it. And so, you know, do you want to get in there in there first and begin a, a different conversation? So, yeah, I think parents are really like, oh, I don't want to I don't want to spoil the innocence of my child. But yeah. we have to be truly realistic about how likely that they are going to hear that from somebody else. One of our um, our friends at Naked Truth Project, when she comes to talk about digital safety, one of the things that she says that really made an impression on me is no matter how uh, how sort of restrictive Restrictive and protective we are as parents our children are only ever as well protected as the least protected child in their circle um, so you know that we can do really right true. Yeah. We can do all of the things we can, you know, we can put all of the blockers and filters and accountability softwares on little Johnny's phone. We can, you know, protect the, the things that we do within our home. But when he goes to his buddy's house, when he goes to school, when he goes to football club, um, you know, he is only ever going to be mm-hmm. as well protected as the least protected child in his circle. And and I think that that's in really important to understand that most kids aren't seeing it on their own devices. They're seeing it on somebody else's.
0: Right kids where their parents are being protective and cautious, right? That's true. And that's why, and and because the fact that we don't typically know exactly what to say to our kids, that's developmentally appropriate. That's why I value books like good pictures, bad pictures so much because it just gives me the language. It tells me exactly what to say to my kids and the questions to ask them at the age appropriate level so that I don't have, and then it also gives me a way of educating them on strategies of what to do when they get exposed.
1: Right, and you know, it's it's not rocket science. That's the thing that kind of um, always is impressed upon me. You know, we've actually got a, a a couple of webinars coming up. We do a monthly webinar in our um, wholehearted partner program, and my colleague Fran is just about to do a two part webinar series on porn proofing your kids. Um, and and you know, the way to porn proof your kids is to have good, connected, honest, authentic relationship with them. Um, so it's not rocket science. You know, there's, there isn't really a sort of special list of ingredients that you need to protect your kids from pornography. It's good parenting, thoughtful parenting and healthy parenting. And I think that's part of the problem, right, is that we, we, as parents, we're not always as healthy yeah. sexually as we could be.
0: And even those of us who are, I mean, like the likelihood that this is going to be something our kids are going to struggle with at some point, is still really high. But the question is, can they talk to us about it? Do they know that they're going to get the help they need when they're ready for it?
1: Right. And I think keeping it in perspective as well, you know, like as people who work in the field, it's easy to assume that everybody who looks at pornography has some kind of crazy addiction. And that's just not true, you know. And so when your kid comes to you and says, hey, this naked image flashed up on my video, or even I'm looking at porn, I think it's really, really important that we keep keep that in perspective, that that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to turn out to be some sort of sex addict or um, deviant or anything like that it might just be that as part of their development they're curious and they want to see and their bodies have shown them and and that's it and they're going to talk about it and they're going to move on and so you know I think it's really important that we keep perspective around it too
0: and that's really hard especially for our listeners who are partners who've been betrayed right. because our brain is sounding the alarm of the danger that we're in Absolutely. because of the betrayal. In our marriage, and so it is an automatic straight shot to go. This is going to happen to my kids, like out of fear. Oh, but absolutely! That's a reminder, cat that that's not always the case.
1: Well, and I can I can identify with that personally. Um, so, Kristen, you probably know a lot of my backstory is that my you know I met my my husband in Alcoholics Anonymous we're both in recovery from substance Mm. addictions and I over the years have experienced a huge amount of fear it's like oh well you know I'm an addict and my husband's an addict and we're raising these kids so it's almost inevitable that they're going to grow up with addictions and and actually what I what I'm keen to say to my clients all the time is we are we're the generational curse breakers you know when I can when I can step into that space with my kids and say you know I'm going to validate those feelings that were never validated for me. I'm going to make it safe to be exactly who you are when it was never safe for me. Um, because what I learned from my childhood is that the absence of danger isn't the same thing as the presence of safe as safe, of safety, right? And so okay, it wasn't... Say that
0: again. That's profound. The so absence the absence of, of, danger. of danger
1: is not the same thing as the presence of safety. Mm-hmm. So there was nothing overtly dangerous in my childhood. And that doesn't mean that I grew up in a safe environment because I grew up with shame. I grew up with uh, an implicit message that feeling emotions was wrong. Um, I grew up with an implicit kind of uh, Victorian style value around children being seen and not heard. Um, And I implicitly learned that emotions were bad. And if emotions are bad, I shouldn't have them, but I do have them. So now I've got shame. um, And now I can't tell anyone about shame because I'm not supposed to have emotions. And so it's all just bottled up in here. And guess what? Taking lots of drugs helps you to not have any emotions, which is what I was trying to do. Didn't know that. Um, Mm. And so, you know, when I get to when I get to treatment for my addictions, I'm looking for the thing. What's the big story? And I didn't really have a big story. I had this little story of Mm. it's not okay. to be who you are so you know when I'm when I'm dealing with my kids now that is primary that's foundational like it's okay to be who you are to feel what you feel um and that's not always comfortable but we're gonna we're gonna hang in there and do the best we can with it and so you know being an addict having a partner who is an addict does not guarantee that you will raise an addict. If anything it gives you a really great opportunity to stand in the gap and fill that space.
0: That's right. And like you said, break those generational curses and start mm-hmm. completely new habits, patterns and mindsets of right. how we engage our hearts, how how we interact with God. I mean many of us even are raised in religious homes and wind up with our own addictions because religion is used more as a shaming keep right. in line with the rules type of thing than a genuine open-hearted connection with jesus right. and so we can change those patterns and that is so hopeful to me and i'm sure it's extremely hopeful to our listeners um cat thank you so much for spending this time today on the living truth podcast um to to leave off if there is one encouragement you could give to um, our listeners. Well, actually, let me ask you this first. So we talked about the P word conference being primarily for church leaders. What about for parents? Are there going to be talks that are really applicable to parents to help the next generation? And how about partners and addicts, people who are struggling themselves? Are there also going to be um, speakers and topics in this conference that would be applicable to them?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking that. And the answer to that is yes. Um, you know, and I guess it comes down to that whole thing about what is church, right? You know, church is is where the people are. And so if you are a person that identifies with the Christian faith, then you are church. Um, and so, you know, in that regard, everybody is welcome. I think, you know, we we really, really, really want to equip the church at leadership level. And so that is yeah. a primary audience for this, for this conference, people who are in ministry, ministering to others and so that could be church leadership it could be if you lead a cell group if you teach a Sunday school if you do a I don't know a a sewing bee or whatever it is that you do anybody who who you know has any kind of responsibility over people with Mm -hmm. that said like I said we've got these different streams one of which is recovery and so we've got great speakers like Jake Porter like Andrew Bauman like Barbara Steffens who are going to bring their clinical and, um, you know, their, their experience of working with people. So there's absolutely stuff in there for people who are in recovery from their own or someone else's problematic sexual behaviours. Likewise, we've got a whole stream related to youth and family. Um, and so if you're just a parent who cares about this and you want to hear more about the problem, more about the solution, more about how to show up for your kids in that space, it's all the same stuff, isn't it? You know, what we're asking church leaders to do is the same thing that we're asking you know I'd like to think that you know when when I talk about things like spiritual abuse I ask you know what's the spirit what's the spiritual context because we talk about a spiritual abuse being something that happens within a church context well what's a church Context. Well, that could be my house, which is the pastor's house, or it could be a conversation we have in the churchyard, or it could be a church meeting, which is a much more formal setting, because if I am a representative of the church, then a church context is anywhere that I am. So that's a long mm. way to say everybody, everybody is welcome.
0: Awesome. I can't wait. I'm just so honored to be a part of it and to be speaking from the partners' perspective and from, um, daughter's perspectives. So mm-hmm. I'm just excited to see what God does through this conference.
1: We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for agreeing to join us. And of course, a big shout out to Kristen and Living Truth. We're, um, we're very excited to hear what God's put on your heart to
0: tell us. Thank you so much, Kat, and um, to all of our listeners. We'll put all the information about this P-word conference and Kat's information and how you can get a hold of her in a sh- in our show notes. And we until the next time. We are with you. We're holding out hope for you.